It's This Week in Sleaze with your host, the great lord, Joshua Regal and Sleazy K. This podcast has been rated Category 3. No one under 18 may be permitted. Let's talk some fucking as a duo for the first time in a long time in the cherished tidy whitey theater me sleazy k and the great lord joshua regal are going to sit down and review two movies out of 1995 from the same director and acting team 1995's diary of a serial killer and gates of hell both by filmmaker otto chan aka norman chan and starring chan kwok bong and strawberry young one being a grisly serial killer story and one being the worst advert for san francisco ever so joshua welcome back and have a seat i've warmed up the seats for you oh thank you they're a little squishy it's a little weird i mean if you're not willing after this time uh, to soak in the atmosphere i suggest not sitting there (laughs) look i'm not afraid of bodily fluids i do not suggest sitting there either (laughs) you should definitely not you you know what you 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 should probably just leave if you don't like this (laughs) Okay, it's the smell of the squishy noises in the seats. Mmm, I miss that smell. But welcome back, truly, you know, and honestly, for the first time in forever, and without exposing your life as such, it is real life that's being prioritized, as per usual, I assume. And for that, I have to say, you cynical scumbag. Oh, what? <laughs> Jesus. <laughs> no, no, but it, but it, but it's been uh, education, and not uh, sex uh, education in real life, but education as a normal human being trying to get a normal, normal, uh, well-paid job in the real world that, that has nothing to do with podcasting about sleazy movies. It was some sex education, you know. It was uh, this past semester. I'm in nursing school, and this past semester it was all about uh, childbirth, labor and delivery. I saw where babies came from, and uh, it was an experience. From there? From there? From that hole? No! Why is babies so small? Oh, God. Like we we need to have some extra hours, uh, like to bone up on your uh, your education before we even get you into the room. Yeah, it was uh, it was good times, and uh, yeah, I had to take a little bit of time away from the uh, Daddy White Theater just because it was so intense. And uh, I've got what a couple months now before I have to go back to hell, and then uh, got about three months of that, and I'll be done. And I'll be a nurse and uh, hopefully have a lot more time to talk uh, fucking movies with you. Mm-hmm. Well, I've, I've been uh, I've been here for two episodes, been here by myself and uh, oh. and uh, in, enjoying the smell. But uh, there, there was uh, an empty an emptiness. You, you know, I pick movies that you kind of at least one that you would have loved to talk of just to say, ha ha ha, I talked of a funny Charlie Joe movie that you didn't. I talked of a uh, pretty woman uh, uh, Veronica, Veronica Eve movie that uh, Charlie is in. So I got that all to myself. You bastard. Where Charlie plays Boss Charlie. Imagine that. I do have a copy of it, though. So fuck you, man. <laughs> so it, it's a recommendation because it is. Uh, it's like the from the same period as Take Me. So it just seems like it's bound to be funny. Yep, that's what I did. And uh, let's... Uh, talk of uh, our movies for this episode. Things uh, turn a little bit dark and not wacky as such, yeah, but I'm sure there's elements to highlight that are kind of uh, wowie. 
Let's just say <laughs> that no, they they didn't bring over to San Francisco like the Hong Kong comedians to like balance the darkness or anything. Like uh, they just took uh, two actors and the rest were San Francisco based uh, Chinese uh, Americans or not. So uh, a lot yeah. of fucking limo shots. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> But uh, we'll get to that in the second half, and uh, let's uh, just run through our contact information really quickly. This is, and I haven't been saying this for a while, this weekend's lease on the Podcast on Fire network. Our website is podcastonfire.com, and you have a bunch of other shows to choose from on Hong Kong cinema, Japanese, Korean. And uh, we also do uh, bonus episodes every now and again, and ninja cinema, of course, because it is cinema. Podcast on fire at googlemail.com is our email address. Hit us up with some feedback and let us know. I'm all surprised by anyone who shares what they thought or that they like in general what we do. That's fantastic. But I got like a message on the Facebook group wondering where the Golden Ninja podcast is at. And that was all fine. And the guy was from Argentina. I was like, wow, our nonsense wow. means something to someone in Argentina. That's awesome. That's amazing. And I mean, I think uh, it could be true for this show as well, although people are a bit more hesitant to come out <laughs> and say, yeah, yeah, I like the fucking. Nobody wants to put themselves out there, man. Like your crew over in, in TTT land or TTD land. They're, they're a lot more vocal and open, but uh, we'll get to that. Uh, so hit us up on our email and uh, join us over on Facebook. Leave a like on our page, facebook.com forward slash POF network. And join us over in our discussion group to follow discussion topics and show progress and updates and what have you. It's called Podcast on Fire Network. So that's how you'll find us on Facebook. And our Twitter handle is at Podcast on Fire. And I write about category free movies that we're going to discuss tonight, as well as other Hong Kong genres, Taiwanese movies of a certain era, and silly ninja movies over at SoGoodReviews.com. And our video review at SleazyKVideo.com. And my Twitter handle is <gasps> Brief at SoGoodReviews. I do that in all, all in one breath almost. Like, <laughs> God, I don't know how you do it. That's not medically, medically sound, but hey, I'm old anyway, so. And uh, we are available on iTunes as well this week in Sleaze. If you prefer to uh, listen to us via iTunes, rate and subscribe and have our shows delivered to you promptly. And finally, if you don't like downloading podcasts to your device, you know, the kids are way busy filling up their devices with Charlie Show pictures and Strawberry Young pictures. I'm sure that's, uh, you know, I'm, I'm pretty old, but I think I got the pulse of the kids out there. I know they like Charlie Show. He's all over that MTV and the skateboarding programs. Have you heard of Nirvana? <laughs> Bad bands, they're going places. They're going places. What? They're not going places? Damn. That's a short fad. Kurt? Oh. So that's uh, that's where we're at over at Stitcher Radio. You can stream us either via their website or download the application. Hey, you can download an app to listen to us, uh, either from the Apple App Store or Google Play. And finally, Shelf Life Clothing, as always, gets a shout-out. Brian Kirby has helped out with the intro and outro music, and so check out his t-shirt line. And, uh, yeah, I'm sure the Caucasians t-shirt and hoodie still has a life, so to say. It was in the news uh, one or two years ago, and I think that still has a life. So good on Brian for uh, essentially like uh, hitting it big with uh, one of his t-shirt designs, and he deserves it very much so. And over in Joshua land, there is some podcast endeavors. Um, um, is it mainly a f trashy duo nowadays? Uh, without, we, like without renaming the podcast, of course. Yeah. I mean, that's basically what it is. I mean, this summer we're planning on getting some different friends in there. So it will be a trio 
for uh, probably the next couple of episodes that are going to get released. And uh, that's really the big thing going on right now. Yeah, search us on uh, the uh, the Trashy Trio podcast on Google and you'll find the site. But, uh, yeah, we're going to be getting some different people in there, just having some fun this summer. Hopefully get a few things recorded that I can release during um, my next semester so that there's not as big of a gap. And then, uh, yeah, it's going to be awesome. Like a summer-themed trash trio or ish-ish sleaze, or you don't care about that? There actually will be uh, a project that I'm supposed we're supposed to be working on with a couple of different podcasts and stuff like that that will be dedicated to summer sleaze. So, also, stuff to look forward to. Good, good that they know all the people that cooperate that you are bringing sleaze. Like, so you're not going like to be part of a rather like wholesome a podcast lineup like this week we review summer school <laughs> and then you come out like oh this week there's come all over the screen that's the name <laughs> of the movie like rape raperson the biopic a summer of rape or something like that <laughs> okay you've misunderstood the project like what what this is wholesome isn't it yeah you are in good company it seems like so look out for that uh theme uh, themed uh, podcast lineup to hit hit us uh, sometime soon in the summer I assume. Uh, right on let's uh, get oh get this over with and let's head into diary of a serial killer first a little 30 second interlude the uh, music from the movie ominous music and then we'll talk of uh, otto chan's true life crime movie diary of a serial killer from 1995 so sit tight Welcome back, and the first review of this uh, this weekend's Lee's reunion is Diary of a Serial Killer from 1995, and plot from my review of the film. Uh, being interviewed from his prison cell after having killed 14 women, the character of Lao Xu Biu, played by actor Chan Kwok Bong, in voiceover tracks back to his 1992 persona. An intense one as well that eventually starts murdering prostitutes, his reasoning being that they're now allowed to reincarnate. And still, and he hates the Japanese as well, so that that feel feeds into it. Still, Lao isn't to be considered a saint or anything, as he stuffs dynamite up his victims' uh, privates, uh, or maybe a huge firecracker, but still. Uh, he plays with them uh, post-death like puppets, he cuts off body parts uh, for, and into his scrapbook, yeah, he uh, puts, uh, like, uh, hair into his scrapbook. All taking place uh, post-death, as I said, and all also taking place in his private loft at home, while the unknowing wife, played by Farini Chung, works in the field uh, at their village or at their farm. Every day, the one he couldn't kill, as Lao claims, is Jade, played by Strawberry Young, a relative of the family who's in Guangzhou to seek out her boyfriend and start a marriage. Uh, Lao and Jade strike up an unlikely bond, where the fragile, actually kind side of Lao is allowed to breathe, but the urges to kill aren't taking a step back. Your quick opinion first, my friend. What do you think of Diary of a Zero Killer? And I know for a fact you've seen this at least once before. I like this. It's kind of, to me, it's kind of classic uh, Category 3 sleaze. Um, 
I don't know, I'm a big sucker for these real-life serial killer dramas and stuff like that. And not to say that this movie doesn't have problems, because it assuredly does. I think, like, just you going over that plot synopsis now, it's like, really strikes me how weak uh, the character's motivation is to be this killer. And it's like... I'll tell you, in real life, his motivation wasn't that great either. Okay, because I can't wait to hear, because, like, he really doesn't sound like he had much of a... uh, plan or idea behind any of these murders so and i i i agree i mean there, there's some acting problems uh somewhere in the movie but overall i think it's actually quite an excellent and well-mounted production you know despite 1995 being a busy year for for the production factory that was hong kong cinema in general they really spent some time making this look professional and uh, true life crime movies weren't necessarily super frequent 1993 the until story year and all of that that's when they were churning out a few of these more frequently. Uh, it's very graphic and also well-performed, and it's actually a bit uh, character-driven when we get into the whole uh, Jade and Lao interaction. One striking image that opens the movie is the seemingly real-life court footage of the killer. And I never looked into this, but this movie, it, it looks like it, but who knows, they, they could have faked it. But this movie is based on a then-very-recent case dubbed on one website, uh, well, the killer was dubbed the Guangzhou Ripper. That would have been an awesome title, but uh, that's yeah. a diary of a serial killer. It is, uh, because it's a flashback uh, structure and all of that. And indeed, it takes place in the Guangdong province in China. And his real, knife wa- real name was Li Wenshan. He was a farmer, and he murdered uh, 13 women, uh, all prostitutes, starting in 1991. And he was arrested in... 1996 according to the sources but i think that's clearly wrong because the movie was made in 1995 and they depict the arrest and subsequent execution i i don't think the filmmakers found out about this case and then staged their own fictional arrest and execution i i have a feeling that they were a bit more classier than that i might be wrong but uh, there it is he probably was arrested in 1995 and executed in 1996 so that's what the filmmakers probably knew that he's gonna he's gonna get shot. So let's stage let's stage that. Uh, but yeah, uh, Li Wenshan reportedly mutilated his victims, among other things, carving out his first victim's vagina. There was evidence of him stitching up at least one victim after slicing her from throat to stomach. Stomach. But there's no huge confirmation in the mild research I did that he was saving body parts, like depicted in the movie. His rationale, according to the uh, research, being that he hated prostitutes just because one cheated him out of money. God bless. That's pretty weak. <laughs> That's pretty fucked up. Jeez. So, yeah, obviously you can't uh, get off with that defense if he even uh, wanted to defend. I mean, I'm, 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 I mean, I mean, I mean, money, cheat out of money. Like, no one's, no one's gonna believe, uh, believe that weak rationale. The movie writes in, as I said, an additional burning hatred for the Japanese as well. Uh, the, uh, the torment of the Chinese people, uh, of the Japanese. So, so I think even the filmmakers probably saw that, hmm, that's pretty weak. Let's, let's add at least a little bit extra something. And then there's also, like, the scene where he remembers back when he was younger and got caught masturbating and gets kicked in the nuts by the guard or what have you. I guess that's more of a really shitty motivation for this character. Well, killers are... They're not sane, obviously. Yes, yeah, exactly. So, I mean, uh, I really don't uh, see that as the true weakness of the film, the motivation. Like, he was a fucked up killer that 
got uh, that got depicted in a very very fucked up way on screen. So uh, I just yeah. think it's funny the uh, links that they go to to try to give him motivation. Like, and they're so weak. It's funny as shit to me. I don't know. Yeah, like like in Doctor Lamb, they uh, they tracked back to uh, some him witnessing his uh, parents having sex, and I think it was abused as well. It's always that standard cliche kind of filmmaking one on one. But uh, we got to do something exactly to f- fill it up and spread it out a little bit. But what's evident to me, and uh, you can chime in if you feel it's the same, that despite this being yet another true crime movie, there's attempts here at a glossy or professional style of filmmaking. And there's also, within all that, there's no shame in, like, like there's no shame in working with adult material. This filmmaker isn't afraid to do that. And there's no restraint, seemingly, in terms of making it a, a horrific tale. You read it on paper, pretty horrific. This is also depicted on screen. So he directed comedies before Otto Chan, which mm-hmm. is, um, he did like these... Uh, both regular comedies with uh, James Wong, but also uh, the, the late composer and actor, James Wong, Uncle Jim. But also these fake documentaries about the sex trade in Hong Kong and sex in general in Hong Kong that were both, they were hosted by James Wong. Like, uh, now we're going to see this, and now we're going to see this. But they also featured staged footage of uh, like uh, transactions between uh, between a John and a prostitute and stuff like that. And even Otto Chan is in one of the movies. So the jump to Diary of a Serial Killer is great because it's a dark film and clearly to me he felt comfort for the first time in his career. So, But you know, based on what you've seen here and based on what you've seen from Hong Kong in terms of making Category 3 movies and true life movies, does this um, feel professional at all to you? Oh, yeah, most definitely. I think it's a beautiful-looking film at times. I think that, you know, and we'll talk about it later, and, you know, when we first talked about doing this, uh, I just the one thing I really remembered about the film was the whole sequence with him and the dresser and everything. And I think there's, you know, tensions handled really well, especially during that sequence. Yeah, yeah, there's a body in the dresser, essentially. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and we'll get to it. But, like, yeah, I think that the movie's handled really well. And, um uh, there's sequences sequences in it where black comedy is put to use. Even that stuff's not highly distracting like it normally is, you know? No, it isn't. They reel it in. Like, there's no, like... Waka waka moments. Exactly. Yeah. Like, the cops here aren't the waka waka cops. And and yeah. here's a, the true sequence of the movie, really thinking thinking its options and choices through. They cast William Ho. And, mm-hmm. and this is a mild spoiler, but they cast William Ho as a police officer. Yeah, he starts out in the movie as they bring him into a cell, and then the character of Lao tells his story, and and he is there kind of just get a confession, I suppose, and get him talking. And it turns out that William Ho, by the midpoint in the movie, he is an authority figure. And when you see William Ho, like that prison sequence, it's well lit, it's moody, and it's it comes with a dark intensity that reeks of more thought through filmmaking rather than just point and shoot some crap that could be awesome but still there's some extra focus given to all aspects of the filmmaking here actually like the and the, the problem though with William Holt's performance they dub him with a way different dubber than we used to like his voice is way too light for my taste and mm. uh, normally it's, it's this brute that might have been the late uh, William Holt's actual voice but 
this voice is a bit it isn't light in terms of hi i'm a police officer <laughs> but it, it's a bit lighter than i'm used to normally it's this raping monster that comes with this Argh! that's smart of them too they start the movie off by william ho he comes into the prison cell with you know a couple of guys and he's immediately the bully that you know him to be from other category three movies and stuff and he's big and he's intimidating and then we're introduced to you know the character of uh what lashu bill or what have you anyway so we're introduced to him and uh you know he's a smaller guy than william ho because william ho is a pretty big dude actually but like he's smaller but he immediately grabs william ho and like gets him into a position of potentially killing him and we see this character is even more you know threatening than uh william ho is i think that was uh smart casting on their part yeah and, and actor chan kwok bong really makes this role uh felt you know he's a small guy but he definitely we we feel all the disgust we need to feel obviously but speaking of black comedy i'm, I'm sure you remember the uh the one and only uh, sex scene between husband and wife that leads to a very funny but suitably <laughs> funny uh, little little comedy section for a few minutes and it, and it starts out just to set you up with uh, uh, man and uh, man and uh, wife having sex at night and it's not super sexy or intense because uh, the wife has been uh, working all day so 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 do you remember the beats of the scene after they're done in the bed when he goes to the tv the beats, you say? <laughs> yes, the beats. <laughs> Where he goes to watch porn and he's beating off, and uh, his wife comes up like a good wife would, and uh, she brings the Crisco. So she sits there and pours cooking oil on her hands in order to like masturbate him. <laughs> and uh, when she does, ah, oh, it's so gross. Like, <laughs> it's like she she's she's giving him a hand job. And uh, the baby starts crying, and, you know, he is just like, oh, go to the baby. And when she does, like, he gets up and he's like, well, I'm going to find a hooker. And when he leaves, we get a shot of the wife with her hand covered in, you know, friggin' cooking oil, pouring it back into the bottle. Yeah, that's economic, man. She's an economic and dutiful wife. That's what it says. It says, I forgot to tell you the merit of my wife. She's economical as she's pouring it into the thing. One of my favorite lines to describe her, too, is like during the scene where she's falling asleep during sex right before this, uh, he's like, maybe she's too tired or I request too much. I can't blame her. She works day to night. Even a cow should take rest. <laughs> <laughs> but but the sentiment is very, he's, he's he doesn't like, have resentment towards his wife or anything he understands that she works and he's a, a lorry driver so he has occasional occasional transport uh jobs to um to to do but i i think it's such a well-played scene because the wife is tired and okay fine and he's got probably he's got a raging boner and he needs to do something about it he needs to have his release and she doesn't come in there and going oh my god are you watching porn she yeah. it's well understood between those two without making a fuss about it that that she's there to please him and let him have release <laughs> mentally and physically and she makes no deal of it but no one attempts to make it uh, sexy either it's just like mm -hmm. right right yeah that feels pretty good yeah, yeah. This is <laughs> it's not like he goes like yeah wife i love you wifey it's very business as usual somewhat depressing but still a, a mutual understanding between husband and wife that this is what we're dealing with but you know what he goes out and he, he finds a hooker and it leads to a first 
murder. And I think uh, Otto Chan, the cinematographer, they really shoot this in such a manner where this transaction is not sexy either. Like, he picks up this Japanese woman, you know, and she asks him to film her. And uh, we, we, we get shots, uh, presumably shot by actor Chan Kok Bong through that camera that looks super depressing because he's not... It's not da 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 dum 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 dum. No, it's just matter of fact of her just stripping and them having sex. And but but it, it's all very foreboding because it leads to that shower sequence where uh, the coma play starts. It's a very weird sequence. Like, oh, first of all, I don't think she she wasn't actually a hooker, right? Like he went looking for a hooker but couldn't find one under two hundred dollars. Isn't that what happened? And then like he finds this Japanese girl who's just like ready to go, and uh, they go back, and when they when they're because there's like a two, it's a two part sequence the one with the camera and everything like that and he they start having sex on the bed and when they do he for some reason has a flashback to the military woman from his childhood that I mentioned earlier who ended up kicking him in the nuts but he only sees like a flash of her and he immediately starts choking the girl and the girl looks like she's dead and I thought she was but then we cut to the shower sequence which immediately comes after it and uh, we get like yeah some you know, hints towards, uh, like, a reference to uh, Alfred Hitchcock's Psycho with, um, you know, it's like a parody of it or what have you, and our character takes a, he has a comb in his hand, but he's doing the whole Norman Bates hand above head, knife sticking out type thing, and then he opens it up and you find out he's got a comb or whatever. Yeah, and, and, and they don't obviously understand each other, so he's resorted to ma- making gestures like combing? Coming like he's very goofy at that point, but it's a very tense and a very explicit mm-hmm. sequence because he he uses the sharp end. In this case, it's a comb yeah. with a very sharp end, and he very. like s- strokes that across her nipple, which like really becomes uncomfortable because it looks it's not razor sharp, obviously, but he's poking at it, and uh, and and then uh, then nothing really happens until he uh, starts um, with the comb, but he starts strangling her uh, eventually, and. Uh, that that's that. But uh, here's one problem that, in general, the Chan Kok Bong performance is really good. But I'm not very much on board with his uh, clownish uh, behavior that happens in the wake of this sequence after he's killed her because he's super psyched that he did it. He's so happy. Uh, yeah, he kills her and starts dancing and, like, excitedly exclaiming about, like, you yeah. You know, this is for everybody who died in the Sino-Japanese War. Woo! Exactly. He jumps on the bed like, whoopee! Yeah, he's bouncing up and down on the bed. like, And it's our first time seeing him kill, you know? Yep. So, you know, you kind of, I don't know, I like, I didn't initially expect that, even though it's a second time viewing the film. I didn't expect that. I expected him to be a little bit, like, I don't know, calmer or like... Overall, it does become, as the movie progresses, like they drop that choice essentially after the big firecracker murder. And and Chan Kwok Bong like, gets a bit more reeled in because then the Strawberry Young story starts. But uh, it made me think of Dr. Lamb because in one of the uh, sequences where he cuts up the body, uh, Simon Yam starts howling you know, right. at the moon. Like, ooh! I definitely get a Dr. Lamb feel from this movie. It, it's it, it's on uh, the level, like, they're both very, very good, but even in Dr. Lamb, that choice is, like, 
it's pretty messed up, and I'm, I'm sure that could have been reeled in despite. Uh, but mm-hmm. uh, yeah, like even in that movie, like overall, that performance uh, makes an impact. Uh, but, but yeah, but Chan Kwok Bong really not an actor I haven't counted that much, but he, he's good. He's 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 a dedicated and very scary performer. He has the moods in him to like the different moods that needs to be put forth on screen. Like, and there's no uh, uh, a more vain actor. Would have wouldn't have done this period, I suppose. But uh, more vain actor wouldn't have gone to the lengths of that. Chang goes. I mean, he's he wants to make sure it's shown that he's like willing to cut body parts and everything is awesome when he cuts body parts and like it's fun to play with the bodies like puppets and stuff like that. So it it comes through. And despite there's light sections, I, I, for my money's worth, it is quite a scary performance actually. Right. Yeah. And then there's later moments like the whole. Uh, sequence where he he has a, a the skin off of a woman's breast that he's cut off and like there's this jokey moment where he knocks some knocks over like a mannequin and knocks the boob off into the ground and likes his was it, his like his grandmother or something like that or I, uh, yeah I have a mother or grandmother or or uh, or mother-in-law even and she ends up trying to make like I don't know tea or some shit out of it and uh, some kind of salty food. Yeah, yeah, yeah. He says like um, the, the, he dropped a piece of abalone. If that, I, I don't know if that's a no fish or not. Is. Yeah, yeah. And so he, he grabs that, and there's this jokey moment where he go, immediately goes to a convenience store and uh, sees some cops, and he dips it into their food, and they're like, <laughs> "Oh, it's so salty." But that is played a little bit more toned down than some of the, those earlier moments, you know? If you think of Dr. Lamb, similar, similar gags that are very broad, like when they they knock over the jar with the breast in Dr. Lamb that ends up on the back of, I think, Emily Kwan. Who, Emily Kwan, who has a titty on her back! Quack, quack, quack! It's so, <laughs> like, here it is, you're absolutely right, it's more real than here. Yeah, it, it, I think it gets progressively better, and I think the movie overall gets progressively better. And even the, the dinner scene where he realizes they have caught fish out of the pond that he dumped a body in. They're like, I can't eat this! No, and uh, yeah. then, he, then he storms off. So, God, um, Strawberry Young. Not a frequent actress, but my God, is she not only gorgeous, but I think, based on these two movies, especially this one, she had a breakthrough in her that never really happened. But mm-hmm. my God, is she good at this movie? Uh, she is and good, they man. are good together. Chan Kok Bong and Strawberry Young are good together. And uh, I mean, her her character enters, and uh, he isn't like super friendly with her. But uh, and the more they become friends, the more the wife suspects, and uh, he, he certainly lusts uh, for her. But uh, it's uh, it's why this movie is character driven because the, the killer isn't there close in in his mind when he's with her because she thinks he's kind right and that's a different kind of vibe uh, and therefore his kindness comes out and he can naturally be a little bit more himself with someone which is a very interesting part of the movie even though there are scenes subsequently where he does commit murders and then he's back in the loft playing with uh, playing with bodies again but their interactions are very very um they, they mean something for the movie definitely let me ch- clarify this. Like the character of Jade, played by Strawberry. Uh, now she is our protagonist's wife's aunt's granddaughter. Sometimes the yeah, sometimes it's really complex these uh, <laughs> relationships. Like even in Once Upon a Time in China, the Jet Li romantic interest, uh, Rosamund Kwan's character, is his thirteenth yeah. aunt. But that's not uh, 
like disgusting to um, like uh, that means they can still have a romantic relationship but it's very complex and you're are they uh, 13th distant though because that's really far like they're at that point are they even blood kin i think in the case of once upon a time in china that's what they obviously argue that uh, they, yeah. they are not i mean they are related but not blood related so but yeah he, here it is like uh it's not even great, 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 like simple stuff like that. It's very, very like strange to navigate in the family tree. But uh, it's my aunt's, it's my wife's aunt's granddaughter's fucking cousin. But they uh, they provide like food and and uh, and a roof over her head while she looks for her triad ass triad asshole boyfriend. <laughs> yeah, of course. The whole I think viewers who watch this movie if we go back to the whole loft that uh, he builds for himself. You might think that really stupid and you would like the smell would come through and they were definitely caught on or catch on to his uh, shenanigans remember dr lamb the real story of lamb gowan he did it all all of that stuff in this small apartment where a big chunk of his family lived and they had no idea yeah so it so it could happen like it really could happen he he didn't he, he didn't have an extra floor of stuff to to like kind of bodies in in that movie like he did it in the living room probably where his family uh, spent their time uh, when they came home later in the day so yeah i viewers might think that's really far-fetched logic but it has happened for real that this can be go undetected you know i think you know and i could be wrong if you or, or listeners correct me if i am wrong but i thought uh jeffrey dahmer initially started off at like his grandmother's house and uh, would kill people and then bleed them out on the floor in the basement, you know? I remember something like that because I've seen a movie or two where... Oh, where Was Jeffrey Dahmer the guy who dressed up as a clown as well? No, no, that's Gacy. That was Gacy. Oh, because Gacy buried stuff in the basement as well, I remember like... Tons of bodies down there, yeah, right there. With, and he had a business and he was bringing young men home who fucking worked for him and stuff like that and killing her ass. And uh, One of the most eerie sequences in the loft uh, is... Uh, a very method sequence where the the whole plastic bag suffocation. Yeah, they put an actress under underneath that thing, and that's eerie because <laughs> the actress is seemingly like uh, have, forced to have that plastic bag really tightly over her face. But there's that POV shot of uh, Chan Kwok Bong, you no know, teasing her like <gasps> you can't breathe. Essentially, he's doing that, <gasps> right. and that's so eerie. That's so sadistic and then it ends with a brutal stab in the back of her head and a lot of it's intact too there's some stuff cut from the movie but a lot of it seems uh, intact Uh, there's probably some stuff cut from the various uh, dismemberment uh, scenes but a lot of it is intact as he off-screen coughs and bloods keeps uh, spurting at his face and stuff like that but uh, you know that's on screen essentially and we get what is going on and Otto Chan I think it's a it's a normal 90 minute movie and all of that but it keeps it tight it's a well-paced movie there's relevant scenes here and not filler scenes in my opinion Um, so what do you think of that is it like a smooth uh, smooth well-paced ride for you Absolutely. I mean, some of the sex and stuff like that, I think, of course, takes up, you know, for a 90-minute movie, it takes up a, a decent amount of time. But it's still not bad, you know? I mean, you don't you don't feel like it's dragging at any point, you know? I think the movie continually moves, has a great pace to it, and uh, has some really messed up moments that uh, really stick in your head. 
I think he earns that one sex scene that, that happens mid-movie and the whole shower thing. I won't reveal the beats of it because it's um, it's a little bit of a, uh, little bit more tricky than just being a sex scene. But, uh, you know, Otto Chan knows how to direct a truly sensual scene, I think, uh, even in that setting of the farmer farming house. It, uh, it looks uh, quite sexy. And uh, Strawberry Young was an actress that also did nudity, so uh, we get the added advantage of her putting forth a really good performance and she gets naked yeah, but she doesn't do nudity in the other movie uh, despite it being about the porn underground pornography underground so we see somebody humping her but we don't uh, see anything what well, one weakness here is that it's boss but it it ruins the moments that it occurs in and that is the sparse usage of uh, voiceover because his narrative, Otto Chan's narrative, is speaks volumes. Like, uh, it, while it is understated, we get it. So having Chan Kwok Bong's character speak about uh, his relationship with Jade and what he's thinking every now and again is overstating matters. So I think that's a little bit of an insecurity on behalf of the filmmakers. It didn't need to be there even, uh, whatever it is, t- two or three times for two or three scenes. But... Uh, it makes sense that he's doing it because he's telling a story, blah, blah, blah. But yeah, I get how it can be a little bit overdone. But at the same time, I wouldn't want to lose it because then we'd lose that cow comment, which I thought was hilarious. Yeah, so, <laughs> true, so, true. So. Sparse usage. That. It would have been great if that was the only part of the voiceover because we got to get it in there. Like, that's funny. <laughs> I did also like... There was one line in it uh, that he gave through a narrative, and it was like, uh, I know I shouldn't treat them that way, but my mind can't control my body. When he's talking about it, it's like he's humping a dead corpse in the movie. And I was like, well, that's, you know, that's good insight, I think. I don't know. I thought that line worked well. I mean, uh, it's been done worse, but I think uh, it could have been real in even those things. But, uh, but yeah, I mean, they're, they're... Their connection and their interaction then remains like the strong driving force of the movie, and uh, it's without revealing anything because uh, that's that's something I want you to discover for yourself if you find the movie. Find the movie, but you know he's going to be arrested. You know he's going to be executed. But when all is said and done, it's quite an affecting, even poetic ending in a way. You know the whole business with. Uh, him wanting to watch for the birds and uh, mm-hmm. before the execution and all of that, and it all traces back to their genuine connection. It had no, you know, chance in hell of ever working out, of course, but it is something quite tender about how Otto Chan depicts uh, their interaction. You did, you don't expect it out of a true life movie necessarily uh, from Hong Kong, anyway. That two characters all of a sudden have an additional move here where they're getting on like but unfortunately their connection has no chance because he is who he is and um yeah uh, it's uh, it's nice it, it's an additional movie that's welcome within this true life movie that we we've seen before and can expect out of hong kong i suppose we mentioned it and it, it's a funny sequence that you don't see too much in movies that you know the second murder involving uh, firecrackers and that <laughs> big comical firecracker maybe you can find a firecracker like that that he then uh, it looks like dynamite but uh, i think it's a uh, supposed to be a firecracker and it's not on screen but he blows up one of his uh, victims uh, vaginas and uh, it, it, we see it in the background. You see the explosion happen in the background. Now, <laughs> you can just yeah. imagine the mess that uh, happened uh, after that. Do you have do y'all pop firecrackers in Sweden or anything like that? Like, uh, y'all have events for that and whatnot? Over here, they have these decent-sized 
firecrackers, like M80s and stuff like that. And uh, that that I know from watching Beavis and Butthead. Like, oh, okay, there M8, you go. M80s yeah. are cool. <laughs> they are, but this thing's like twice the size of an M80 firecracker. I, I can almost safely say that that's not something I saw my friends uh, carrying around. Like it was either fireworks or small little uh, small firecrackers, that, uh, akin to the ones he put in between her fingers in that scene. So uh, yeah, here in the states we're idiots, so we're constantly trying to think of like bigger and badder explosions we can do. So it's always like uh, making pipe bombs and bullshit like that to sit there and blow holes in the ground and like after my teenage years i started getting like kind of like because like i don't know i just remember one time one of my buddies making a sparkler bomb it's like this thing where you take sparklers wrap them together and it makes a huge friggin' explosion and when i'm doing it like right next to my friggin' window when i was asleep and uh it was like such a huge explosion man it like blew a hole in the ground and like came outside and, like what the hell but like just after that like i don't know i started getting paranoid i'm like these things can blow my hands off, you know? And so, like, I don't really, uh, when, like, Fourth of July or, like, New Year's come around, I don't really play too much with the fireworks anymore. Yeah, c- combined, obviously, with, uh, here's the PSA, like, combined with uh, with alcohol, there, there's always bound to be these horrible accidents. Like, uh, I-, I dread reading the newspaper after New Year's Eve yeah. over here just to be, like, this and this got his hand blown off, and this and this got his, uh, like, uh, got the uh, fireworks, um, like, it went up into his face, and some people die as well. I just think that's so sad that yeah. it, mm, that, that we should expect an accident or two. Like, that's too much already. But, uh, yeah, I, I, I was never into it. I was a cynical, like, welcome to the fireworks podcast, by the way. But, uh, <laughs> <laughs> I, I was so cynical for a while, like, look at them blowing up all that money. And now I obviously just do whatever you want. Like, it doesn't affect me like the firecrackers don't go through my window or like I, I live fairly isolated from wherever they uh, set off these so even during new year's eve i can hear it but not outside of my apartment obviously from the sky where it's all going on so i get it they're fun but like at the same time it's like I- i've set off enough of them and been like a little too close to the action is it like uh, when you go to Mexico, do you buy these uh, hardcore firecrackers that are super unsafe compared to American firecrackers? No. Uh, in the States, I don't know. I feel like certainly down here in the South, they have firecrackers. When the time comes, there's firecracker stands on every corner. So, you know, it's real easy to go blow hundreds of dollars on uh, just really cool, like, rocket stuff, like, you know, that you sit there and put giant bombs in that shoot into the air. Uh, one time as a kid, like, one of the reasons I think I'm scared of them so much is, like, we were in a field, and, uh, we had one of these big rocket things, like, and, uh, I remember we sat there and put it in there, and the fucking thing kicks over, and it's pointing directly at us while the fuse, yeah, so, like, it shot out and, like, exploded and, like, lit half of the damn field on fire. I had to get out there and, like... Yeah, it was bad. And like, it's one of those mistakes, and you realize just how easy it is to, you know, maybe not lose your life, but you know, lose a limb. <laughs> you know? And 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 at that point, did you all just uh, run away? You run away? Oh like, yeah, we <laughs> fuck, we running every which way. What happened to the field? Like, <laughs> <laughs> no, no we more. Uh, we, no more. We went out, we went back out there and like uh, it's now a lake. Flames and stuff. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> it's now a lake. Yeah, that's what you do uh, when your kids like run away, run away, run to another country. <laughs> like, <laughs> or 
alrighty. You know what? We're we're done with the fireworks podcast for now. Let's do the availability for Diary of a Serial Killer. It's a universe title, the company universe, that sadly was never issued on DVD. Only on VHS, VCD and Laserdisc as far as I know. And uh, those are fairly hard to find. I own the Laserdisc, but unfortunately my side two of it had so-called laser rot. You see these uh, disturbances on the picture. So my friend recorded a clean copy for me, which is what we watched for this show. Because uh, it, it looks really good on the Laserdisc, so uh, it's not like you're gonna think it's print damage or anything like the laser rot really is uh, a sign of uh, well it's either word really like uh, that the disc is uh, sort of near uh, near extinction if you will and, and uh, maybe you can't play it uh, next time or whatever but uh, so unfortunately it's a little bit hard to find but uh, if you know your way around the internet you might be able to find it either used or on the torrent forums so uh that's that. Uh, but uh, anyway, after the break, we go from the June 1995 release that was Diary of a Serial Killer to a December release involving director Otto Chan, actors uh, Chan Kok Bong and Strawberry Young. And sometime that year, either post-diary or pre-diary, they went to San Francisco to shoot the, thrill- the thriller Gates of Hell. And we'll be back uh, talking of that after the break and trying to decipher what the gates of hell refers to in a very artistic and scholarly-like discussion that we're going to have. Hmm. It's referring to the football stadium. I'm wearing my monocle. Indeed. (laughs) (laughs) But, uh, yeah, it's pretty evident that San Francisco isn't painted, like the underbelly, anyway, of San Francisco isn't painted in the best of light. But, uh, hey, it's fiction. So that's they're not saying like don't go for real like they 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 probably in in their own way encouraged uh, to to get their picture taken at the uh, Golden Gate Bridge. That's pretty fun, and hopefully you'll get a sunny day to do it. Like in this movie, they get a cloudy day <laughs> to shoot pictures out. Like like where's the bridge? Is it there? I don't know. Just shoot. I don't know. Behind all the fog. <laughs> so there we are. But we're, we're gonna take a break, and we'll be back to discuss the trio being back. Um, uh, in a movie together and uh, the same year and see how it all fares in that movie. So just sit tight and we'll be back. Welcome back in the second review of our reunion. Here is also a reunion for the actors and the director from Diary of a Serial Killer. I just thought of that on the spot. Gosh, you're smart. I am whoever reference you should throw in there. <laughs> I can't think of any though. Uh, Who are? Let's uh, let's do it all uh, here. Gates of Hell from 1995. That's my like uh, like uh, my uh, warrior cry to get into the plot synopsis. Who are? Yeah. And uh, it's like, oh, the plot. The cop proposes to his wife. <laughs> and she's got a great ass. <laughs> and she's got a great ass. We saw it in the other movie. <laughs> we don't hear, which is a shame. First, you take the clothes off. And then you show your ass. <laughs> but anyway, plot from my review of the film that uh, Al Pacino hopefully will approve of. Cop Chung played by... <laughs> like, it's not a good plot. Doesn't get any, doesn't have any ass in it. 
But, uh, you know, James Pax is at least semi-naked uh, for, for his first scene, so there's that. Uh, but anyway, Cop Chung, played by Chiang Kwok Bong, proposes to his wife Yin, played by Strawberry Young, and San Francisco is the place chosen for their romantic honeymoon. One night, Chung decides to join a couple of the fellow um, Hong Kong people on their um, tour for a night out at a strip club, as you do. I don't know how these things work. Apparently, this is how it works. He promptly gets uh, targeted by a hostess who gets him drunk, and in the alleyway, he's robbed of his hotel room key. While there's nothing of great monetary value there, because they've spent it all, essentially. Chung's wife is snatched and forced to work in the underground porn industry. And a desperate search by her husband Chung starts, which is aided by another prostitute, I believe, or hostess, called Xiu Fong, a girl who is looking for her uncle as well. Yeah, so that's that, then my quick opinion uh, this time around. It feels like a quick entry, and it's a bit shaky as made, especially going from the high that was Diary of a Serial Killer. But uh, a decent amount of sleaze uh, is uh, definitely here. There's performer dedication by Chan Kwok Bong again, and the gangster-slash-porn underbelly is captured with certain grit and sleaze and plus the violence that comes uh, with it is quite compelling so and also I, I like any Hong Kong movie that takes its show on the road essentially again this is shot in San Francisco for the mostly or even uh, almost all of it aside from the first scene in Hong Kong so so yeah it, it's, a, it's a decent uh, little watch but not as good as Diary of a Serial Killer but that's enough for me for now what did you in short think of Gates of Hell? Basically the same thing it's it's fun you know, in certain areas, it's a pretty fun little movie, but uh, it has enough issues that kind of holds it back from being anything great. But it it's still entertaining enough to definitely recommend. Have Have you ever been to SF? No, I haven't. Like because it looks so compelling based on this, like underground <laughs> porn. Like I just remember, like like during the sequence, she's like uh, the beginning after he proposes. Which we should mention, he proposes by getting a Big Mac from McDonald's in uh, Hong they're, Kong. They're in Hong Kong at this, at this point, yeah. So Right, right, yeah. He grabs a fucking Big Mac and puts the ring in there. Like, oh, you know, it's disgusting. But then, like, uh, she's like, we need to go somewhere romantic. And at first she throws out, like, Paris, France. And I'm like, okay, well, that makes sense, you know. It's kind of conventional or whatever. And then she's like, or San Francisco. And it's like, I know San Fran from, like, a few things. Buddy John uh, has told me a few things about San Fran. I know it has so probably in the top ten of, like, uh, gay population. Like, it's huge for that. The third thing would be, like, a, a tie between, you know, Full House, the TV show, and <laughs> uh, what was it? The San Francisco treat uh, that had those fucking commercials with all the uh, cars driving down the street or whatever, the little... Uh, Rice-A-Roni, that's it. Rice-A-Roni, the San Francisco street. Like, uh, that's what I know about it. And it's like, none of those things spell out, like, necessarily, like, romantic. Yeah, you, uh, I mean, it's up to the couple, of course, to determine that. But uh, it's also, like, one of the first, if not the only, Hong Kong movie that I know of that has gone to San Francisco. New York was uh, common enough, uh, and it seems like they could arrange filmmaking. New York, I could see being a little uh, romantic, you know? I mean, you got... I don't know, you could sit there and go see the Statue of Liberty, maybe? or I don't know, but, like, San Francisco, I just picture smog and, like, <laughs> fucking annoying California. Oh, wait, I shouldn't diss California. We probably have listeners there. Oops. But, you know, just general Californians and stuff like that would probably get on my nerves, and I don't know. 
You, you you never know also if we're talking uh, being somewhat serious how the filmmaking the filmmaking connections I think are stronger or were stronger in New York they could good could get cooperation San Francisco might have been this uh, they 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 might have gotten cooperation and permit and all of that and obviously they have performers that are American here I don't know you think they had permits to shoot all the stuff they shoot on the streets in this movie not all the stuff I think some of the stuff is caught uh, uh, documentary style and. Um, mm-hmm. So uh yes but but it is you, you can't go there for such an extended period of time and fly under the radar of a fort so uh, uh but but yeah like no mostly um Toronto Vancouver and uh, New York essentially that's a fairly common place for Hong Kong movies uh, because the connections are strong enough and all of that but but again it starts in Hong Kong and it starts immediately rather it starts immediately and there's almost like a Ringo Lam style start with a chase and a little bit of gunplay and uh, to set up that the husband, husband is a cop and also that the husband, Chan Kwok Bong, is always playing catch up. Uh, he, right. the, the wife is, uh, you know, waiting for him to turn up for their date and he wants to redeem himself and all of that. And it's a, it's a, it's not a strong chemistry, but it's a decent little sweet combo that mm-hmm. they managed to create here, the actors and the director. And uh, it's light and sort of harmonic, and they almost seem like uh, very first love-like with each other. Uh, and uh, he doesn't need to be this dirty Harry cop that right. just for us to believe him or anything. I think uh, you obviously can get into the police academy despite not being super hardcore and macho, and uh, I think that's very much realistic, and that's why Chung is a bit of a pushover throughout the movie. You know, he just because he has experience with a gun doesn't mean that he can fight back until the very end, essentially. Which I think is a sort of mildly realistic and compelling side of it, that this is a bit of a pushover character. And uh, I'm going to test to see if you picked up on a reference that I that I did that possibly exist in this movie back to a an American movie. Yeah, it's it's more looser as made. Like there's a lot of a bit more shaky camera, a little little bit mm-hmm. of a low budget going on here, even when they're shooting in Hong Kong. But but Hong Kong movies could be awesome and gritty through small means though. So uh but yeah, quickly we go to San Francisco we go and uh, like those scenes that you mentioned that they they catch on the streets like they just shoot yeah. it from a car or a bus or whatever. For me it like tracked back a little bit to Otto Chan's mockumentary sex comedies because he has experience shooting a little bit under radar, whether mockumentary style or documentary style. There was a shot of a woman walking up to their car that looked like a real hooker in the beginning. So it's like, I, I love too that, you know, it goes from her talking about, we need to go somewhere romantic like San Francisco and it cuts to all this documentary stuff showing like the seediest parts of San Francisco that they possibly could just in order to like point out that, yeah, they're, they fucked up. What on earth is James Pax wearing, who plays our bad guy while swinging his sword? Like, what on earth is he wearing, Joshua? It's just the best thing ever. Like, the whole, like, they're in some kind of, like, upscale San Francisco apartment type deal. It's nighttime. You know, the lighting's coming in from the moon, and it looks real. There's an atmosphere going on. And Pax is wearing, now, imagine a leather jacket, but imagine it being open, and you being shirtless. And then imagine someone cutting off the majority of the jacket <laughs> and just keeping the sleeves. Because that's all this dude's wearing. <laughs> it's like leather sleeves and leather pants is all he's wearing. And it was just, 
like before you even said anything, as I was watching the movie, I, I'd already made a note about it. Just like my God, my God, a paragraph of my God. Uh, you know, I have leather sleeves and leather pants and capital letters in my notes here. It looks like a very tiny ladies' jacket that you, but, but you, you have <laughs> like a super tiny one that's shrunk. But you, I think you're probably right. They decreased as much of the cloth as they could, so, so to say, or whatever. It's literally cut at the shoulders, basically. And and kept it so he could, like, swing his sword without ripping it or anything. Like, just, like, it's very well thought out when you think about it. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> but it doesn't matter for the character at all. Like, what no. on earth is he wearing, <laughs> and why? At the same time that this is going on, like, while he's swinging his sword, he's got this, uh, you know, Western chick in the background who's also wearing entirely leather, and she's basically masturbating while he swings his sword around. He's bad, he's got a sword, and he makes purses wet by being bad and swinging a sword, oh, yeah. and wearing uh, wearing no leather at all while wearing leather. A very complex thing to be turned on by, but that's what happens. <laughs> well, it's the jacket, you know. Need to design it. Do you know anywhere? Do you know any seamstresses? <laughs> I'm just gonna go buy a leather jacket. Like I'll spend a couple hundred dollars on a leather jacket and cut, cut into it. <laughs> yes, exactly. You should like. Uh, I, I can just imagine a montage of like uh, you sewing and da da set set to dum 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 and it's not like you're training for something at all. You're just making clothes. <laughs> oh, it's going to be fantastic. James Pax, uh, as you may remember, Joshua, he was the main lead in Remains of a Woman, like the, the very uh, manipulative uh, character in Remains of a Woman, and played lightning in Big Trouble in Little China. Oh, one of the three dudes? Yep, yep, alongside Carter Wong. And I, I forgot the other guy's name, but that's uh, James Pax in, in uh, Big Trouble. So, yeah. Even out you, you know, you can see him even underneath the straw hat, of course, but, um, yeah. He looks surprisingly younger here than he did in that movie. Very good-looking guy. I think he's done modeling, and if you remember the bio we did of him, he, uh, he was a very, um, he seemed to want to educate himself continually and shape his craft. I think he was gearing up to direct a film as well, so he was not uh, relying on acting only. Like, he was very, um, he had a good head on his shoulders, that way to uh, not rely on acting only because in Hong Kong definitely you, there it's going to run out eventually and um, yeah. I think, think it worked in China and all of that and yeah, yeah he, so he, it's, it's kind of like Michael Wong except no uh, helicopters maybe just yeah which makes him instantly worse because of that. <laughs> Uh, yeah, it's a shame this movie wasn't shot in sync sound um, because it would have been lovely to hear all the different. Uh, it's a gang war going on here, not just underground porn, but you know, a gang war in terms of having the greatest porn empire in the underground, I suppose. But but there's there, there's different uh, ethnicities here, right. and uh, the script isn't necessarily very subtle. Uh, they they hurl fairly frequently pretty racist remarks towards each other, like the Chinese are called dogs. And who knows on the actual Chinese tracks how what the what the Chinese are calling the Italians and all of that. So, but two things about this like uh, ethnic war or what have you. The first thing is like near the beginning we get like a drive-by shooting 
and uh, the, <laughs> the for some reason the subtitles say "Eat my bomb." Yeah, he says it on the track. The... You can hear it like "Eat my bomb." No idea. And then, the, and then another thing, like just to show, you know, the Chinese opinion of the Italians, that they're, they're like <laughs> during the a sequence later in the movie where this big war, like big raid on the um, Italians as they're uh, you know shooting porn and stuff like that. And I'm way ahead of it, but like the Italians are eating spaghetti and pizza. They're eating spaghetti and pizza. One dude, one dude's eating pizza. The other one's like filling his mouth with friggin' spaghetti. That shit killed me. That's what happens, of course, when other productions are having a stab at how to portray other ethnicities, of course. Like, uh, it, whether it's in a gangster type of sense or just if if uh, Swedes would be depicted, of course. Like, in uh, all I can think of when I think of Swedes being depicted, and I think this in Crybaby. They, uh, do you remember John Waters' Crybaby? It might be, I think John Waters is more clever than this. I think this is a conscious thing, but for some reason, the family, I think Ricky Lake's uh, mother and father in that one, bringing a foreign exchange student that looks, uh, Austrian because she's, uh, like having pigtails and uh, pro- probably wearing the female equivalent of Lederhosen. And, and all she says, obviously, yeah, 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 yeah. <laughs> if there were Swedes, you guys would be putting together like IKEA like tables or some bullshit that's what it would be maybe so maybe so but uh yeah that's like it's not necessarily racist how this movie goes about this business it's it's stereotypes and cliches within gangster movies are what they are but i miss that bit about them really driving home the fact that they're italians (laughs) you you probably remember them eating at that table like it's during the big shootout like that comes and like it's going in slow motion kind of and they're like saying general italian stuff i I can't remember like bazzano and whatever they're saying eat my bum bum. (laughs) (laughs) you have no bomb (laughs) how am i supposed to eat it (laughs) you're shooting a gun you jerk that that may not be a realism as such but did did, and and it's not necessarily the most inspiring gang turf war aura in movies, but again, Hong Kong movies taking their thing on the road is compelling in itself, and that, that's why it's uh, pretty entertaining to see see this here. I would have heard, I would have loved to hear it in sing sound uh, because I think uh, they they don't all speak Cantonese uh, to each other. Like uh, sometimes in these movies, even the Western characters, uh, the most random Western characters would be dubbed into Cantonese, and they they'll deal with it that way. But I think uh, they drop some Italian in there every now and again. I think. Yeah, I feel like. If I were to look at the movie sort of deeply, the fact that when they go to the Golden Gate Bridge on that cloudy day, it almost adds to the movie's muted look that we have no sunshine whatsoever or no colors in this movie at all because it's all going to hell. But I think it's just the that's the lay of the land. Was the lay of the land that day? Like they had what they could possibly shoot with permit during that ten minutes or whatever. And that's what they got. Like you could still see the bridge, of course, but uh, it, it's not necessarily like the most beautiful uh, tourist photo. It pops up a lot in this movie. The bridge does, like in the background and what have you. And uh, so that that's that. But they, I, I love also. This is always entertaining. Like when they get reached to strip club, and whenever there's a glass-eyed man in a strip club. Whether it's in Hong Kong or San Francisco, they always act like they haven't seen boobs for two decades. <laughs> He does the round, like, you know, honk, honk thing with his hands. Yeah, the the, the grasping in air and talking out loud and all of that. I love 
breasts and boobs as much as anyone, but I don't get that excited by it whenever it appears. Like, I'm like they're, they're great, but I don't like go wow, wow, we will <laughs> like in these movies. And it's also it's almost an, always entertaining in Hong Kong movies that these businessmen are so, especially in the category three movies, they are so horned up like uh, you read about uh, the various Charlie Chow movies are like that and it's always uh, enjoyable here it's a serious movie so uh, they just uh, depict Chinese that way like uh, grasping in air for boobs and uh, yeah two more things I wrote down that they said during this it's more like puzzling bits of dialogue and one thing was great hands that's what he says I think as he's doing the honking uh, his his hands or her hands I don't know. <laughs> and, the, and then he says, it's harder than my dick. <laughs> Which I don't, I don't uh, understand. This. I don't either. <laughs> I don't know what's going on. This guy's saying the most puzzling stuff at the strip club. Was he talking about their fake boobs being harder than his dick? I, you know, I, don't, I have no idea. You get that funny feeling of the movie yeah, it's, 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 like that funny sense and Chunk Wok Bong is really he, he doesn't really fit in with that crowd which is a character trait I like he, he's more like yeah I'll go to the strip club because men hang out that way essentially and uh, right. I lost my wife but uh, you know uh, she she is encouraging uh, but there is a slightly sinking feeling when it turns out he's getting uh, like systematically uh, fed uh, drinks and uh, they eventually go to the hotel room and snatch her, which is a clever little sequence. They could have done a five-minute struggle and a rape scene even, but it's one of those, like, they grab her mouth and then cut to black. Yeah. And then there's a time cut, and I actually love that time cut because there's been at least half a day between right. her being snatched or kidnapped and him, uh, like, uh, sitting down with the police and what have you. And I, I think that's um, a pretty neat little time cut. And uh, he, here's where I'm going to ask you if you think, if you were to guess, if Otto Chan was channeling Straw Dogs or not. Oh, yeah, he definitely was. I know exactly what you're talking about. So, yeah. so, so, so please explain the Straw Dogs reference, therefore. Well, here's the thing. Okay, going back to the club, there's this chick that looks a lot like uh, Olivia Munn, who ends up feeding him all the drinks. Then he gets taken into the alley by two guys. You get the feeling they kind of rough him up, and they end up uh, taking his keys. Uh, we get that shot with uh, them breaking into his apartment, stealing his girlfriend, blah, blah, blah. You know, unless I missed it, I don't remember at what point they did it, but his glasses, one side is, you know, gets broken into pieces or what have you, and uh, he even has to – there's even some tape on it you can see. Like, we don't get the shot of him taping it up or anything like that or him realizing his glass. But for the majority of the movie, you know, our main character's running around with, like, straw dog glasses on. And 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 I think it's a it's both a neat little time cut and a decent little movie reference without copying straw dogs, obviously. And uh, I, I like that look on Chan Kwok Bong. Uh, you, you can interpret it in, in many ways, but obviously it's, uh, he, he is a broken man by that point, and this just kind of adds to it. This inconvenience just adds to it, the fact that he that he that uh, that his glasses are cracked and what have you. Uh, so so like, it, it's a decent little reference. I, I've seen worse um, movie homages, you know, uh, because he isn't, you know, featuring a rape scene where the wife likes it or anything like that. It's not a pecking paw like uh, template here in terms of the, that movie's plot. But the movie, as fun as the sleaze and nudity is, Otto Chan is creating pretty extended filler here. There's at, at least two or three sequences of uh, underground porn being shot. This. 
Yes. And this lasts way too long. Way it, it, too long. I, I love the direction of what I presume is the Italian uh, <laughs> Italian the same notes, Jesus. <laughs> <laughs> you know, squeeze it more, squeeze it more. That's his only direction of the lesbian scene and what have you. Just squeeze it. It's like he doesn't even want them to eat each other out. Just, just squeeze yeah. it. I like squeeze porn. <laughs> <laughs> you just said, I have more, more, okay, good, wrote down <laughs> for his dial. It's like Godfrey Ho direction here. I can't see you acting. My note says white dude studying on acting under Godfrey Ho. That's what my note says. Jesus. But, but in reality, is it, uh, you know, as fun as that is, is it, uh, is it filler for you? I mean, uh, the, 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 those 10 minutes of dancing and, uh, and shooting porn in the limo and stuff like that. It should have been no longer than 30, 45 seconds, really, the, the, of the porn. You know, and we get Antonio or whatever. Of course, uh, Antonio. Of course. Yeah. Mario and, Antonio. Antonio. He's, you know, it's there to make him look tough. But we already had that sequence earlier that made him look tough. I don't know. It's, it's silly and it's pointless. And one thing that the movie does that uh, I, I think is wrong is, like, we get this brief reminder of Antonio. But really, the Pax and Antonio thing is left out for a good, probably almost 30 minutes of the film. Yeah. You know, we, we mostly focus on our protagonist searching for his wife. And that's all good stuff, mind you. But, we, you know, when it finally came back to PAX, I was like, oh, geez, I totally pretty much had forgot this little subplot was even going. There wasn't enough of a reminder in there, and this sequence was not the one that you needed to uh, remind you about their uh, hatred or what have you. You're very right, because the thread of uh, Siu Fong and uh, Chan Kok Bong's character hitting that underbelly of gangs and porn and all of that that that's that's all good stuff and the desperation is there and th that calls for some bigger acting he's not as good as in diary of a serial killer but chan kwok, kwok bong with his glasses and his more mild demeanor despite being a cop actually works and i, I like the sequence where he's uh, essentially scammed by the prostitute who uses the strawberry which is completely disgusting yeah <laughs> i have that in my notes too so so, so he uh, I'll, I'll let you talk of the strawberries but what he did he thinks he's found someone who may have some info so he pays for a prostitute uh, even though he's not keen to do anything with her but he has to pay for it the, the information and she kind of just oh you just sit there and i'll do my thing and undress and uh, and there's strawberries coming into play and uh, what is the in my opinion what is the disgusting thing she does with the strawberries she i mean to put it bluntly she fingers herself with a strawberry <laughs> i mean that's that's what it is uh, we get to this point because, uh, you know, our character, main character finds uh, a girl from the club, I believe she is, yep. and uh, she agrees to help out. She says that, tells him about this brothel where they're going to find information. He goes there. It's almost a pointless sequence, really. I mean, we don't end up getting anything out of it for the most part. We get this fingering of the, uh, with the strawberry. Fingering of the vagina. Da, da, da. Check, check, yeah, check, check, check. Yeah. And uh, then, you know, the hooker who does it, like, she's like, you know, oh, you want information about that girl? Give me, you know, all the money in your friggin' wallet, pretty much. So he hands over all of his money. She gets to the door, and she's like, yeah, yeah, I've seen her on a TV drama. Ha, ha, ha. Walks out on him, and he's, you know, then dead broke uh, and walks out of it. And, exactly. Uh, he, he doesn't even uh, attempt to chase her, which uh, no. which I find appealing. 
because he is such a like, kind of in shock, probably, that he's not that, oh my god, I gotta chase her uh, because I'm a cop. Or anything like uh, he um, he's he's gonna be scammed and he's uh, he's he's gullible and that that's why Chan Kwok Bong here versus Dyer of a of a serial killer he can play that timid and probably a pushover quite quite mm-hmm. well which uh, works uh, and, and the glasses just kind of adds to that so pointless scene in a way but I I, I th- think it adds to the the futility of it all that uh, mm-hmm. it's, information is not going to come easy and people are if there's money to be you know had and uh, scams to be executed and people will and uh, this is exactly what happens but uh, again i don't judge but uh, food and sex in my world uh, is two different things okay so yeah. including <laughs> one piece of food in this case one strawberry i thought she was like gonna sexually eat it or something in a suggestive manner no no yeah <laughs> <laughs> like, like, okay, you squished it. That, that's fine. You're gonna rub it all over your boobs. That's probably fine. Uh, okay, you're gonna, you're going down there. Okay, that's okay. That, that's not sexy. Either. <laughs> it's it's off screen. And then that hooker like doesn't tell him anything, and but for some reason she's killed by some guys that we don't really ever get to know at all. Like we get a sequence right after that where uh, she's stripped, raped, and then uh, the guy pulls out a box cutter. And uh, kind of rubs it around her boobs for a little bit before putting it in her mouth and apparently, like, I guess cutting off her tongue or something. Yeah, yeah, I, I think the Chinese gangsters, uh, they, because they recorded that, uh, what happened in that room and they saw and heard that he was asking questions. And they were, they're nasty to that degree where, despite the recording, they're not convinced that she did not say anything. And uh, right. it's a pretty nasty little scene. It's a that rape is uh, very matter of fact. You know, it takes place right. in these small grungy rooms, and that horrible knife play that culminates in what yeah. you just told told us. It it's effectively shot uh, very much so, uh, because you don't think necessarily these sort of plain looking Chinese triads. They're not like Godfather gang, Godfather like suits and like very like classy looking triads. They're the dudes, they're dressed right. the way dudes are, but they have this nasty streak in them, and I think that's as horrible as that scene is. It's well, um, it's well conveyed uh, actually, and uh, th- th- there's also solid action beats in that gang fight in the club that involves glass, and uh, not just like smashing glass all over people, all over people's head, but grinding of broken glass into someone's head. Yeah, that was nasty. There's actually a lot of pretty uh gruesome violence in this movie you got limbs getting cut left and right yeah, yeah it uh, vitale is quite uh high and uh, gritty when all of a sudden down like uh when focusing on his journey so to say that's when it all kind of fits and i agree when james pax and crew get back in the movie for the finale essentially which we're, we're not quite there yet but it, it isn't the, the main drive that we need to have a bad guy here because it's the whole underground that's uh, that he's right. fighting against rather than pax himself but uh, yeah. uh i i loved quite uh quite a lot when he sees when they go into the the vhs store with all the porno because uh, he's seen a poster and he's seen his wife and he goes into who is she who is she where is she and he looks for the tape that contains her. Yeah. And just because there's so much porn in there, that sequence goes on for so long that porn, 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 porn. They just scan the shelves endlessly, which I thought was great because there's so much porn produced, man. And that luckily, like her porno is playing on the TV. Yeah. It just happens to be playing at that very moment. 
Yeah. So, and, and I guess Strawberry Young does not do nudity. She looks like she's drugged out and you just see the back of a man and her clinging on to him, but clearly out of it. So they're, they're probably drugged her up and, uh, forced, uh, forced her to appear in these movies. And I, I like these, um, little video, small little video shoots that they do. They add to that grungy feeling and you do want her to, you know, come back safe and them to rejoin again. Like it's, it's got enough dramatic drive, I think, there. You talk about like the the how lengthy and kind of pointless the uh, video store sequence is, but it's like right around the same time we get this sequence with like uh, the older uh, Chinese mob boss, uh, and he's like inside of a limo with this kind of hot blonde or whatever, and we get this sex scene between these two for no reason whatsoever. Yeah, filler it's, again. Oh, it's so much filler. It's like. It makes no sense. We don't ever see that character. And honestly, unless I'm misremembering, I don't think he ever, you know, come factors back into the story, really. No, not really. Uh, it would make sense if that was James Pack's scene. Right. But uh, at least, like, we've seen him, and uh, we've seen his sword and his uh, little tiny leather jacket. But but no, it's uh, they, there, there is some uh, either that they shot a lot of stuff that they strung together and hoped it would be coherent because they had a couple of actors and a couple of girls there, uh, lo- uh, local girls, though. Like, even if they did use Chinese, I don't recognize anyone here. So I think they got, they cast out of uh, out of San Francisco, mostly. Right. Yeah, and then you've, it's also in that same limousine that they obviously rented, you know, for the porn shoot. That like, So this counts up to about three to four sequences that take place in the same limo. And yeah, you know, the movie obviously tries to cash in on, you know, hot naked blondes. But, ooh, exotic. Could be sexy, but here it's um, like detracts from the overall uh, overall story, I think. But hey, it's commercial elements. Uh, even when they shot in Hong Kong, they shot endless sequences too. With uh, even if uh, it involved people we like, we could see yeah. some of the stuff was filler. But uh, yeah, without going into super specifics, there is uh, effective violence during the last reel. There's surprising deaths, uh, like even two gun action that are. That is awkward by design because there's just struggle here. Chang Kwok, Kwok Bong at one point picks up a machine gun and a gun and starts firing them, but he's not chai and fat in that moment. He's just desperate and starts firing all over the place. I don't know if he even hits someone during that uh, because it's not like he sits there and aim carefully, aims carefully. And and I like that. It like he he is he may be a cop, but that is still out of his element like this situation is not something you snap into in slow motion one of my favorite bits is him he's so nervous in this gunfight that he actually has to take duct tape and tape his the gun into his yes. hands that's a great so little frightened. choice yeah that is a good good choice i remember it now but i didn't make a note of it so that, that's a damn it may be a little off here and there but that's an, a moment that shows someone has been thinking yeah, I never saw it in another movie. Um, like, and, and I thought for a while, like, oh my god, he hurt himself. Oh, there's the duct tape. He taped himself together. But no, you're right. Mm-hmm. He, uh, he is <laughs> like he t- may turn into an animal during the last scene, but that's after a lot of, lot of, lot of, lot of terror and pushing. Uh, yeah, he, his performance is a little bit off in frequency, but I do believe that animal, in an overall sense, that the animal that Chan Kwok Bong has become. What I don't believe. I love James Pax, but his performance is a little bit off too. He's this rock and roll star gangster almost. He's having so much fun during that whole sequence. Like, yeah! Not scary at all, really. No, he, and he's such a pretty boy too. It's kind of hard to 
think of him as the vicious sociopath that he plays, you know? Yeah, and and especially when he has no true connection to the story. It's not like we see him uh, feeding his wife, uh, Jin, feeding drugs to her and looking after her, like, you're my girl now. Right. Like, we don't build up the hatred for him. Like, no. Uh, we, we, we've been delighted by him, actually. Like, yeah, with the sword scene and all that. He's, that's cool. That's, he chops off a guy's legs. That was pretty fun, too. <laughs> yeah, that was, that was, and it was just another gangster, so you don't care. Exactly, and uh, and uh, my, my final note, without uh, sp- speaking speaking specifically, pretty well conveyed nasty barbed wire violence. Yeah, that was really good. I talked in the beginning of the review that it feels shaky and quick, but Hong Kong filmmakers knew how to just make it gritty and felt through quite sparse means. Sometimes, and yeah. th- th- this is a mixture of you know, plastic maybe sharp here and there because barbed wire even if you make it in pla- into plastic it has like pointy edges and the makeup on Chan Kwok Bong's face and that's that's the action direction and actually Otto Chan is listed as one of the action directors and it's not like he was a former kung fu player or anything I, I think that's probably very true because it's not like he as a narrative director automatically automatically steps out when you have the violence that you have in this movie. I think he very much had a say in how to convey it, and then the action directors helped out with the whole that filmmaking part of it, as action directors in Hong Kong cinema do. They are running the show, actually, uh, pr- pretty much with angles and uh, editing and all of that. So, uh, so yeah, I can pretty much uh, believe that, and uh, it's pretty fun to have on Otto Chan's filmography, because he, he's this, you know, if you see the guy, he's uh, he looks like... Uh, you know, an office worker. So it's not like he's yeah. this uh, like nasty, hardcore man. I can direct action. I'm, a, I'm the director. Arr! But no, he's, uh, he looks uh, timid himself, but uh, and has some nasty streaks in him. As I said, a decent little movie. Uh, has some fun, has some misguided stuff in it. But uh, the core of it all, which is the chase for her, that pretty much works uh, decently well, I would say. Uh, I like the finale to it, too. Yeah, yeah. I mean... Like there's there's some stuff in there. Like when you really start applying logic to it, it doesn't hold up very well. Our villains make some really really boneheaded decisions. Like not to go too deep into it, but like why would they bring her back to the supermarket after they know the husband's already found her at the supermarket? You know, it doesn't make any sense. But like the reason being because obviously they had that set and they had to use it. You know, just like the limousine. That's why it's in there three and four times. But you know, it it's definitely shows its budget at times. But it still looks good. It's still it's still a strong little movie. It, it's fun, and uh, I think it makes a good companion piece to the other film. And I would definitely recommend it. Mm-hmm. And uh, we will actually be um, we'll be covering at least one of these. Uh sex mockumentaries that Otto Chan directed with James Wong because I think that is a fun little thing that Hong Kong did for a couple of movies uh, even Charlie Cho hosted one of these uh, mockumentaries uh, so uh, he wasn't in it but he was like uh, he was the host of it together with um, another actress it was called and I think it's a misspelled thing I think it was supposed to be called Gigolo Revelation but it's called Jiggly Revelation <laughs> <laughs> So that's what we're going with. Uh, but it's it's essentially the same thing as I've been describing. This uh, looks at various facets of sex around Hong Kong, including prostitution and some faked uh, hidden camera stuff that is actually fairly effective at, at many points, actually. 
and uh, and and kind of fun too because th- these movies are kind of all over the map. They're, they're not like grimy dark documentaries uh, as such. Uh, because James Wong was a very cheery, happy-go-lucky character uh, when he was on screen, and they love to tell dirty jokes and stuff like that. And um, yeah, so it's uh, it's good, it's good fun. Uh, um, he did a movie with Otto, a regular narrative movie called Free Stooges in Hong Kong. Which is like Amy Yip is saying that I think it's even partly or wholly sync sound. And it's a fun little category free romp where James Wong even enters the movie with uh, looking at the camera like it's a TV show, telling dirty jokes because they like Uncle Jim to do that. And I don't know if you remember this about James Wong, but he was a fantastic composer as well. You've heard his scores on numerous classic Hong Kong movies, a Chinese ghost story that he was part of the score there, Green Snake and stuff like that. So it's it's one of those amusing things in Hong Kong that that guy did that and that and that. Like, you couldn't do that in Hollywood. You Imagine if John Williams hosted fucking sex mockumentaries as well. That would be like, we can't have you working at Lucasfilms. Like, you can't do that. <laughs> but in Hong Kong, what else? Yeah. I'm doing, I, I, it's honest work, man. I'm not a pornographer. Money. Yeah, oh, yeah, I'm not a pornographer. I'm not doing anything illegal here. But just yeah. imagine, like, hi, I'm John Williams. Let me tell you dirty jokes now. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, so that, that's a wonderful difference between uh, Hong Kong uh, and America. I'm John Williams. Welcome to Cinemax After Dark. <laughs> <laughs> the composer of Star Wars. Now, now I'm going to show you Gates of Hell. <laughs> But okay, let's uh, wrap this up. As for availability, this had a rather poor World Video US DVD release that featured the movie in full screen. But otherwise, uh, Maya did the movie for VHS and VCD in Hong Kong, but our Laserdisc version actually had a Cameron Entertainment logo before the movie. So I'm not sure if it might have been sourced from the Maya Laserdisc uh, because I, I got a copy of it. But regardless, it, that's the preferable version if you can find it because it's letterboxed, way more clearer than the world video DVD and subtitled. Uh, but um, yeah, it's uh, it doesn't have more official DVD releases than that. And not surprising, a lot of these movies did not, uh, despite having uh, landing at like prolific companies like Universe and May I automatically. It didn't mean that they automatically got a DVD release as soon as DVD became a thing, which is uh, kind of a shame, but maybe they they didn't think it was compelling enough, but uh, rights for a lot of these movies uh, dropped uh, like one by one, and um, yeah. That's uh, that's what it is. But uh, hey, it looks uh, it looks good if you can find it on Laserdisc. Very much, uh, very much an acceptable transfer and all of that. Uh, but okay, Joshua. Next time, one of the poster boys of Category Three and a poster boy in general in terms of going where the work is, both was and still is Anthony Wong. Mm-hmm. And next time, Anthony Wong. Who Anthony? He's got a great ass. I've seen it. <laughs> Uh, but yeah, we uh, look at a couple of memorable ones from this productive era. Hong Kong uh, was part of, or um, yeah, was part of making Category Three movies, 1992 to 1995, circa. And one of those movies we're going to look at is the Kirk Wong produced Love to Kill, where Anthony plays an abusive husband and Danny Lee plays the waka waka cop. Like, like I showed you a screen cap of Danny Lee eating a banana and the lady's ass. Uh, close to him, like, <laughs> like I'm eating a banana, and there's a lady's behind close to me. <laughs> but the other being the the comedy makes sense more, and the other one that we're gonna look at. So first, love to kill, and the other being the Wong Jing produced the underground banker. Oh, classic. Where Anthony Wong and his family gets in trouble with debt collectors big time, and also in the movie 
their neighbor is Dr. Lamb. <gasps> Which is actually, I can say this now, it's a parody of Dr. Lamb. It's such an insensitive parody <laughs> because they're suggesting that Dr. Lamb got released, essentially. They, they cleared him. <laughs> like, you're, you're fine to go into society now. And it's such a uh, Lawrence mm, plays Dr. Lamb and not Simon Yam, though. And it's such a wonderful performance because it's insensitive and they just play up the fact that whenever they see him, like, Hi, I'm your neighbor. I'm Dr. Lamb. <laughs> but it's a, it's a very, very unashamedly and also clever piece of scripting that Wong Jing uh, does for the underground banker featuring Dr. Lamb as kind of a key character. <laughs> Did you ever see that movie or just heard I've it? I've seen bits and pieces of it. Right. Yeah, and uh, William Ho is in it, uh, doing the William Ho thing. He's uh, the head of the debt collecting thing there, which is uh, it's a nasty, fun little movie, Underground Banker, directed by Bosco Lamb, who did two mo- uh, one movie that we're definitely going to cover, but when we do, we're going to cover the sequel as well. He Bosco Lamb directed a Chinese torture chamber story, and uh, therefore we're going to pair that up with a Chinese torture chamber story too at some point, uh, because uh, they're both worth covering. Uh, but yeah, plenty of category free to come, and hopefully, um, hopefully uh, some uh, mockumentary sex comedies to look at because uh, we haven't. I mean, it, it's really crucial. Here, here's me being serious. It's really crucial, I think, to tap into and touch upon as much as possible that the category free rating had to offer because they just shot this out, just ejaculated stuff onto the market, <laughs> like product, 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 and that included mockumentary sex yeah. comedies, and I love that. That that. And they did it fast too, obviously. Like James Wong, are you ready? I am so ready. Can I tell dirty jokes? You so can tell dirty jokes. And there you have the movie, man. There's, there's, uh, and next week they did another, probably. Like, it's uh, it's uh, such a fast like uh, industry. That week they did another. Probably, probably. We have um, there's a good chance, therefore, we return to Otto Chan's uh, prior uh, prior movies in his filmography. But uh, for in the meantime, Robert, this is. Uh, or rather was, this week in Sleaze. And uh, I'm uh, glad that we finally got together again. It's not the same without you, Joshua. And uh, it's, uh, and I, uh, I like that uh, we can both be super immature, but also do the actual proper contextual movie review, and not just, like, yuck at the movies. Uh, like, ha, 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 Bob Wire Violence. That's the end of our review. Thank you very much. Listen to us. We are awesome. Like, i we're going to provide more context than that, and I'm proud of the fact that you do that so well and uh, that we bounce uh, bounce this back and forth uh, like we do. It's not the same without you. I missed you too, Kenny. But you better behave and come back more frequent, otherwise. <laughs> so <laughs> I'm, I'm, I'm going to call the hospital you works at, like, hey. <laughs> <laughs> so what, what, what hospital are you being educated at? <laughs> like the Charlie Cho Institute for... Really? No. <laughs> Charlie Cho's School of Secondary Education. The Grab Bust Institute. For... The Grab Bust. Or the Eat My Bomb. Eat My Bomb School of Nursing. You, 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 someone needs to do an animated uh, gif of that. With <laughs> sound, like, like, eat my bomb, eat my bomb. <laughs> do a vine. Yeah, exactly, a vine too. Yeah. That's what the kids do. Yeah. That's how we get the kids into this show, like, we did a vine, kids. Wow, wow, we were a vine. Uh, speaking our language, old men. <laughs> we did one vine. <laughs> Eat my bomb.
<laughs> I think he said it that fast too. It's not it. It was not like it was slow motion. Like son of a bitch, just eat my bomb. It was no. so fast. It was over in a second. Like eat my bomb. <laughs> I love it, man. Classic. Alrighty, let's uh, wrap this one up. Uh, this has been This Week in Sleaze on the Podcastify network. We are located on podcastify.com along with uh, other shows on various Asian cinema and bonus episodes. And uh, we got to find an excuse to do a boner episode sometime in the future, you and I, because that gives me an excuse to use the sound effect I'm so fond of. I, I, I don't like the prolonged effect. I like the boing. Rather than the boing, okay. boing, boing, boing. No, yeah, no, no. Yeah, yeah, I, yeah. I, I like the quick one, like boing. Boing. Like a real man. Like a real man. Yeah. Gets it up quick and fast. Oh, the fun we have with movies. But hey, let's uh, check that out. Uh, write us an email if you have any questions or feedback. Podcast on fire at googlemail.com. Takes a lot of effort to write the emails, but whenever you do, and people have, that's very much appreciated that you took the time. So thank you very much. And uh, locate us over on Facebook, facebook.com forward slash POF network to leave a like. And follow us in the discussion group where we mainly share the show updates and discuss various topics uh, surrounding Asian cinema. It's called Podcast on Fire Network, so search for that on Facebook. And our Twitter handle is at Podcast on Fire. I write about category-free movies, including the ones we have talked of tonight, as well as other genres out of Hong Kong, Taiwanese, uh, female revenge, uh, social realist movies, and other wacky Taiwanese movies, uh, Taiwan Reefer Madness, as I like to call it. Uh, that's my preferred Taiwanese cinema, not these uh, art house, uh, slow yeah. art house movies. I, I like that kind of ta- Taiwanese cinema. Uh, that's available on SoGoodReviews.com, and I also video review at SleazyKVideo.com, and my Twitter handle is at SoGoodReviews. And on all iTunes, you can rate and subscribe to This Week in Sleaze and leave a written comment if you have the time. And finally, stream us on Stitcher Radio in terms of uh, how to access our podcast. They have an online presence, but this movie's way to find us and stream us is through the application available on the Apple App Store and Google Play. And finally, on my end, Shelf Life Clothing by a Caucasian T-shirt for the summer or a hoodie if it's cold. And uh, check out Brian's uh, line of uh, merch because it's awesome and he's helped out our show in many ways and he does it every time the show is on because that's his music uh, during the intro and outro with the help of Joshua as well. You have a plug or two for your show, the Trashy Trio slash Occasional Duo. The Trashy Trio, just Google search us and then uh, join our Facebook group where we have lots of fun. Yeah, your your members, as I said, they are very willing to just post topics about, hey, pornography! <laughs> it's like the majority of the posts... Wendy and I were talking about it recently, and we're like, well, we don't really talk about porn on the show. But, like, people are constantly like, yeah, yeah. Yeah, you, you, you threw out the bait there. Like, trashy, please. That means porno. I, I have a safe family. I have a safe haven now to post pornography. Exactly. And, and it's not like they post pictures. They post no. topics, like mad topics from the web. And that's all good, because it's not cheap in that regard. We're like, hey, I post a picture of boobies. Yeah, no. Like, no, it's like weird ass, like, shots from weird ass Japanese game shows. Where, what was that awesome clip of, whether it's real or not, I don't know, but l- let's assume it was, where some late night Japanese TV show was about singing karaoke while getting a hand job. Yes. Be- behind the screen, but that was awesome. Like, yeah, yeah. <laughs> like, man, that, that would be difficult. First one to finish, I can't remember if they won or lost. I don't know. 
who cares? <laughs> <It's> <laughs> who like, cares? It's like awesome. If no one wins weekly, uh, like it's awesome that they do it. And uh, I mean, in, in all honesty, I, I know it's an, at, an, at the end of the show. Do you think that's real? Yeah. I mean, I, I think that it may have been a one-off thing. Or, I don't know if that show is dedicated strictly to that, but I, I don't doubt that that segment appeared on some kind of game show. It may be a weekly thing. Maybe they do it all the time, or maybe it's just like spin the wheel and what funny game are we going to do today type of deal. I don't know. <laughs> and the audience doesn't know, so like, and they're forced into it. Like, <laughs> you have a dick, you get down here. <laughs> like, sing. Well, I like singing. Be jerked off. Kind of like that, too. That's awesome. <laughs> let's do it. <laughs> this is a winning combo. All right. But anyway, let's stop the fucking and let's get back to uh, stitching up our respective skin collages on mannequins we got brewing here. Because me and Joshua were so inspired by Dio of a Serial Killer. And we're also going to cancel our tickets to San Francisco. <laughs> Never no, going. Just kidding. Just kidding. It's a wonderful city. It's depicted in a fiction sense in a poor way here. So, yeah, there we are. Uh, but anyway, thank you very much for listening. I've been Sleazy K, and with me was, thankfully, again, for the first time in a long time, the great Lord Joshua Regal. Woo! Yeah, end with a woo. End it with a woo. Like all good shows do.